So, Mr. Steve Kelly, thank you for coming on to the Conscious Perspective podcast. You are a interesting, interesting individual. Um, I read your book. I actually have it right here, Break the Curse. I've just finished reading it probably two weeks ago um, after you gave it to us, which is a story I'd like to get into later on in this podcast. Um, and I do have to say it, it hit me right at the perfect time in my life of when I wanted to start this whole thing. And then it was almost like a, uh, a, a divine stroke of fate. I see it as that day of, at Massasoit. And um, I thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thank you. And so your audience knows Massasoit, it's a state park near, near where we both live. Yep. And we, we ran into each other, uh, a stroke of luck. Uh, I got my phone back, thanks to you, our, you and uh, Kayla's, you know, wonderful Taylor's, I'm sorry, Taylor's wonderful uh, generosity of time. Um, so yeah, we could talk a little bit about that when you're ready. Definitely. Um, I'll start off by saying, so this is, I'll start off I'll, my, my view of the, of the whole situation. Uh, I was walking at Massasoit State Park with my girlfriend Taylor, and we approached the end, and at the end they have like a new gazebo place where you can go and kind of hang out, and it's funny because I actually, in my head, didn't want to go down there at first. I kind of just wanted to uh, veer off to the left and kind of just turn around, but she said, like, no, let's go sit down there and kind of just rest, and I'm like, oh, all right, whatever, I'll, I'll listen to her. <laughs> so we go down there, and we hang out for a little bit, and then she says, is that a phone sitting up right over there? And I go, oh, yeah, that's a phone. And then, you you know, about 10 minutes later, you call, and I say, uh, yeah, this is I, this is Gary. I got your phone. If you want to just, like, come back to Massasoit, we'll be here. I'll meet you at the front probably, like, 15 minutes. And then I thought it was great how you were, like, you know, you were very appreciative of it. And I thought it was no big deal to me. Like, I wasn't going to steal whoever's phone that was. I was going to either give it to the the you know the park rangers or somewhere i wasn't going to steal it and <laughs> it, of course it had to be you steve and you know you, you said you can either have you know when i gave it to you you said you can either have two things the dunkin donuts gift card or this book i wrote and <laughs> i was just i was dumbfounded because i was just like wait a second you you wrote this book and you're like yes and then you wrote this uh to taylor and gary thank you for saving my life <laughs> and then you with your number and email and here we are. And it's funny because I'm sure your audience uh, would would understand when you lose your phone, it's like your whole life is gone. You got all these contacts in yeah. there. People can't get a hold of you. You can't get a hold of them. You're envisioning mm-hmm. this disaster, trying to find, especially in COVID-19 times, how do I find a phone store that's open? You know, it's just, yeah. it was going to be what I would call a disaster. And then when you answered the phone, when I called, I said, well, let's call it. We called it, you answered the phone. I was like, yes. And then it turned out to be very nice people. And uh, so we met and uh, I wanted to reward you, as you said. So I offered you either two Dunkin' Donuts cards or my book. And I was so mm-hmm. glad you chose the book. <laughs> yeah, I, there was no way I would choose a Dunkin' Donuts gift card over a book that someone wrote. It was just a, it was just a, such a unique situation. And I was like, I have to I have to, well, first of all, I read it and then I was like, all right, I have to get this guy on and talk to this guy again. So I thank you for coming on. And you, you gave me more than just the book. You gave me the knowledge in the book as well. You know, it was more than just, you could have just easily given me the book and I wouldn't have read it. But I, I read it and I was like, wow, you know, you put a lot of, I felt, you know, your your tenacity in the book. And I felt like how much you cared for what you put into those words. And um, 
I love how recent it was too. Uh, how you were writing about the the COVID nineteen pandemic, and I was like, wow, this is this is exactly what I needed to read right now. And I think it's something that a lot of people actually need to read right now, to be honest with you, because it's very, it's a very simple. Uh, I don't know if you want to say guidebook. Uh, it's a, it's just a, it's a, it's a way to look at life that a lot of people just need. They need to break the curse. And I think, you correct me if I'm wrong. The curse is it's not really like a curse like a harry potter curse it's more of a curse of like your mind and it's a curse of your perspective on life that people have and if people uh, get lost into that you know the 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 curse that the world is is putting upon us right now you're going to live an unhappy life and i think you put it in a very straightforward manner in your book on how to just see through that and that life is all perspective and and to to ultimately break the curse, and I thank you for that. And I that's why I wanted to bring you on because I think a lot more people need to know about it. Yeah, we you're right. I think we get trapped in a sort of myopic way that we've learned to think. And I like your your other guests that you had interviewed who had question everything, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of this idea of developing a bias that you don't even see. And mm-hmm. I I wrote the book to help people embrace the idea of how they're framing their thoughts and developing their own personal propaganda and they're mm. not even knowing it. Mm. And, and that's a travesty. I mean, you have to know that you're propagandizing yourself. And then once you accept that, you can accept, oh, there's a whole bunch of people doing the same thing. And they're, they're trying to um, impact you, and especially in today's uh, in the election today here in the United States, you know, for those people in other countries, probably the same thing, same things are happening. But um, yeah, I would hopefully allow people a chance to explore their own biases, their blind spots, their weaknesses, and then rebuild the way they think. And if you can do that, I think that you have a better shot of understanding the world better. And then you can then treat the world better. Um, and that will help you have a better life. So, I agree a hundred percent. I like the term uh, "personal propaganda." Yeah, I th- I think that's good. It's like we it's like our mind plays tricks on ourselves. Our mind it's like our we are our own worst enemy. Yeah. We just people we can't get out of our own way, and right. you have to you have to take the steps to get out of your own way, and to to know that first of all you have to become aware that you're in your own way. And then second of all, you have to take the steps to get out of your own way. And I, the, your book is is the epitome of that. It shows you how to take the steps to actually, you know, to embrace conflict. And like you said, uh, frame, like it's all about perspective and how you frame situations and, and how you see things. Because I think that's great. That's how I've always lived my life. I think life is all perspective and how you see it and how you frame things. Because we're all going to go through shit. Like we're all going to go through stuff in this life. And you're well aware of that and it's all how you see the stuff you go through and how you deal with the stuff you go through and how you learn from the stuff that you go through and that's the first tenet of buddhism it's it's the first noble truth is that life is suffering and it doesn't mean that you're always suffering and that we're always going to be going through some kind of suffering but there it eventually inevitably in your life in everybody's life we're all going to go through some kind of suffering and if you become detached from that and you know how to see past that, then thus you won't suffer or you won't suffer as much. And 
that's what's great i think about your book is that you touch upon these 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 noble truths like these truths that people figured out thousands of years ago like you know yogic truths buddhist truths and you just put it simply in a 21st century american sense and like when you um like you know when you spoke about tapas or uh, tapasya or yes. was it your friend lewis that uh yes that says that yeah it's that is like a that is tapas means heat which means you know you're going to put your the more stuff you put yourself through or the more suffering this is how i see it at least the more suffering or self-inflicted suffering that you put yourself through whether it be like a long run long swim intense yoga um, whatever it is, some something that really just that you're probably not going to be too happy during it. <laughs> it's so, something while you're doing, you're not going to probably enjoy it too much, but afterwards, you're going to feel amazing. And I think that's true for anything in life. Like you know, I just took a cold shower, or just just if if you self-inflict yourself with suffering, your the the stuff that you're aware of that you do to yourself, the the suffering that is going to come about that isn't of your um, of your own you know doing isn't going to be as bad is yeah, that is I, I that how you also, see it also um it's a strength that you build it's like a muscle right that you're you're building so mm -hmm. the idea that you can handle stuff and then you just handle a little bit more get stronger and it it's not something that you then have to shy away from suffering you get to embrace it a little and and, and say in each case what can i learn from this what can mm -hmm. I build? How can I build on this instead of, oh, woe is me? So it's the opposite of victimhood, actually. Exactly. So like self-suffering says it's not bad to have things happen. It's nor is it necessarily good. But if you can make it good by turning it into a strength instead of treating it as a weakness, it it um it builds a strength within you that um, will impact future happenings in your life, things that are going to inevitably occur. And in my case, for instance, uh, I had a brain tumor in 2018. And my sort of whole life has been about um, handling obstacle after obstacle. And I still remember when I first got my, my brain tumor, the knowledge that I, they told me I, I, if, I, if we didn't have a successful uh, chemical treatment, that I only had three to six weeks to live. And I remember saying, well, we're going to have a bowling party. <laughs> and my family was like, what? What do you mean a bowling party? I said, no, no, we're just going to have a bowling party. We're going to have a good time. I said, and I'm going to embrace whatever happens, happens. And it, it sort of, um, it, it sort of uh, fortifies the idea that if you're going to be miserable, you might as well be happy about it. <laughs> and so it's like, that, it sounds like the reverse of like, how can you be happy being miserable? But that's the suffering allows you to create a distance from the surface experience and to utilize it in a better way. Mm. So that's yeah, that's inspiring. It really is. Yeah, but they I also like thought you... I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, you're having a good time. You're just trying to enjoy it, right? No matter what the situation was, you were just trying to make light of it. Yeah, and I also think it's very important that you always create hope. And, mm. and um, I think our country, for instance, needs hope. Not maybe all the countries of the world need hope. And, and the idea that there's no hope is, that's a hopeless, uh, the whole idea is, is crazy. We, I think you have to say there's always going to be hope. And I think your window, if you make your window longer, like in terms of how you view history, um, it's a pendulum. And, you know, there were times in, in 2000 years ago where humanity declined, you know, the, the idea of 
you know, uh, a lot of violence occurred, you know, Attila the Hun or something like that. Some of these, uh, the hordes that went through Europe and, they, you know, you always see, uh, I watched the, uh, the Tour de France and you see these beautiful castles that are over there in Italy, the Giro d'Italia. Um, and they had to build those castles because hordes came through and they had to protect themselves. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this renewal of violence is not, uh, it's not new, nor is it impenetrable. It, it is something that will we'll all overcome it um, and we have to like do the work necessary to do it. But um, I think a positive, hopeful message is really important that, you, that we all understand um, that myth is truly important as a part of culture and how we'll get over this, um, what, what society has uh, brought forward, if you would. Did you Modern say myth? society has brought forward. Did, did you say myth is important? Totally. Um, I think myth, people misunderstand myth um, and how much it controls what happens. There, there's a culture um, everywhere you go. Um, one of my uh, favorite sort of, I think it's a, uh, an obvious thing to look at. When you go to your local, uh, uh, let's say a town hall or place city hall, and um, what I think is unfortunate is they always have you on the other side of a counter. You, you, you go up to a counter and, and they're pre presenting a culture of separateness. And you know there are reasons they, have, they feel they've had to do that, but it creates a myth. And, and that I think is uh, troubling. And I think that it needs to be worked against. You can still have the counter there, but um, how do you invite people on the other side of it? And, and I'm very cognizant of that in my own business. You know, you know, I have a, a private office within my office, but I'm constantly inviting people in so that they don't feel that separation and I'm aware of it. So I think myth is uh, truly um, a missed perspective on the conscious perspective. But people don't understand how important culture and myth are. Uh, one of the things I did, uh, we have a small real estate management company, and I'm not saying that because I'll get any business out of this. That's clearly not the case. Hey, you um, can but, advertise. It's okay. Yeah. Whatever, you can do whatever you but want. But that's not, no one's going to uh, rent property from us through this uh, medium, if you would. <laughs> but what I did, and, um, and it cost me $10,000. We were on a train track uh, in Boston, and um, we have a huge marquee sign. It's two 30-foot poles, and we have all of the names of the businesses on the sign, and we built a toy train set at the base with a button that the kids can push. Anybody, I mean, the adult kids like me can push. And you push the button and the train goes around. Um, and um, one of the cars, we put Boston Strong, right? And But the point is people come and they push the button and it's fun. And it creates this myth, which I want it to be a true myth too, that we are a family organization. My, my two sons and myself work together but we actually created something that represents the myth. And it, it makes people realize who we are. So myth mm. is truly important. Um, the, the, uh, the Nike slash, for instance, is part of their myth. Um, and, and by the way, that goes way back to, uh, to Japan is where they, they got that, just do it. Um, so, so that's sort of, I, don't, I think that borrowed would be a better word than stolen. But, but that's not their own like uh, thing. That's that just do it is something they want to associate with. But it's it's thousands of years old. 
that's a so, Japanese saying, just do it? Just do it, yeah. Oh, yeah, didn't uh, know that. Mor Morita's therapy. Um, Morita was a very famous Japanese, um, like a psychologist or something, doctor. I'm not sure what you'd call him, but um, he had a very strong theme of just do it. So like if you, um, let's say he was uh, trying to help you and, and you were having trouble uh, becoming autonomous, you know, be able to get away from your parents. And he'd say, okay, well, you know, you'd think you're going to come in and sit on his couch and lay down on the couch and you tell me your problems. He'd say, mm -hmm. no, 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 no. Tell you what, um, on your way over here, I want you to stop, get a paper. I want you to pick out three apartments that you'd like to see. So you'd get to him and you'd say, well, here are the three I picked. He says, good, which one's first? We're going to take a walk. And, and you'd walk to that apartment and you'd look at it and you say, okay, let's look at the next one. And the whole time you'd be talking and doing. Mm. So just do it. So that's a different approach than, um, than just talking than, than just like, like trying to talk out a problem. Let's do something all the way through it. Mm -hmm. So just do it is a, is an, as a myth that you, that they've created that they want it to be true. And that's really great. So there are myths all around. I mean, I think, uh, the, both the, in, in our case, uh, as Americans, we're watching the, uh, the Republic the myths of the, the two main parties, the Democratic and the Republican Party, they're all, both trying to create these myths. Hmm. And I think we're missing the point. You know, they're, they're spending too much myth time. So it's very hmm. important that you understand myth and that you hmm. can see it clearly. So That's do you think, question. so are there positive myths and negative myths and but we just have to build the right one? Is um, what you're saying? Well, certainly, um, we talk about framing. Yes, mm -hmm. I think that, um, the, I think they're important. It's important to understand that there are, they are myths and then you are deciding whether it's a good myth or a bad myth but that myths have influence is a very important point to get mm. and just to watch very to, to observe um clinically what's going on mm. that is very true so i mean i could you could almost say everything has a myth in a way how you look at it like every idea like business every I don't know. Yeah, every person has a myth, and it's just like the it, it's the story that that they want to represent. But it depends. You have to frame their story in the right way in your head, right? Is that what you're saying? You have to. Yeah. What, right. So, everything's the, given out a myth. Right and wrong are subjective mm. characterizations, right? So again, it's. I think that we're trying to pin things to a reality that makes us have a, a stronger match to what's actually going on mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people using myth to shift us away from things they don't want us to think or see or know mm. yeah that's very true that is very very true the power of myth i don't think you talked about that in your book did you um a little bit in leadership chapter 10 we talk about leadership okay. and understanding and um having a good handle on myth and why it's important mm. what, what is it doing in our lives and we should employ it too i mean that's uh, that's why i put a little that train was ten thousand dollars everybody comes up pushes that button and the kids are joyful i'm joyful right <laughs> it's a beautiful thing but there's something else behind that why would you spend ten thousand dollars to put an outside train on on a sign i mean obviously <laughs> i there was more to it i my head, my sons, by the way, are scratching their head, Dad. I don't know what you're doing. You, your brain tumor has affected you, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? But no, it, it really is important to 
um, to, I think, to use myth. I think leaders need to know myth. They need to use myth. And, um, and I think that having good intentions is really important. Mm. You know, I always say to my sons, if you're, um, that you need to take risks, right? And take risks and you'll outwork the problems you create if your intentions are good. So take risks, and you outwork the problems you create because your problem because your intentions are good. Yeah. So now, yeah. whatever risk you take, mm. you're going to create problems. But I don't think people realize that sometimes. No matter what you mm. do, left, right, or straight, guess what? You're going to have a problem. Mm-hmm. But if your intentions are good, you'll outwork those problems. If mm. intentions are bad, I think you start to dig a deeper hole. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I agree. I, it's all about intention in life. Yeah. It's all about where you come from. Right. Exactly. Mm. What was your intention with writing your book? Um, Very cleanly uh, to help people. I I felt that so many people, um, and you see them all the time, you listen to them all the time at a coffee shop or or whatever, and they're very biased. And and it's clear that their bias has overcome them. And and the book is hopefully to get them back to square point neutral, get them right to a neutral point, and then build off of that, you know, your goals, things like that, that, that will help you to um, steer your own ship. I say goals are like a steering wheel. And I don't know if you've ever been on a, um, any kind of a train or something where you don't have any steering, right? You just, you're just, the tracks are taking you somewhere. And it's also like being a tumble, what I call a tumbleweed. The winds are buffeting you, throwing you around left, right, back and forth. And who are you? You're just buffeted by these tumble, like a tumbleweed. Mm. So that's also part of what I'm talking about. So you want people, yeah, you, you want to, is this like, you? it's, it's like your viewpoint on life, but you want to just spread it to others, right? Oh, definitely. And, and, and also it's, it's really how I did it, right? I, um, you know, I've, I've taken a life that was pretty off track. I mean, I got out of high school, went to college, flunked out, didn't go back for 20 years. Um, you know, I had to put myself back on track. And I, as I thought about how I did it, um, I just tried to share that in the book. Mm. You definitely have an interesting story. That's for sure. When, so let's get back to the, what kind of cancer were you diagnosed with? I have something called CNS lymphoma, central nervous system lymphoma. Mm-hmm. And um, only three people in a million get it. Mm-hmm. And very few survive. So mm. um, I'm in the, the I don't know if I'm in the third year yet. I think I'm in the third year, the beginning of the third year. So I'm surviving and I'm happy to be there and, um, you know, not um, not willing to, like, look at the negative. Uh, the prognosis is not a beautiful prognosis. If you look it up, anybody can look it up. CNS lymphoma. Um, but um, I deny their prognosis. I, <laughs> I'm going to survive regardless. Um and um, yeah, I just think that, I mean, not everybody will survive, right? I mean, people, some people that obviously they die rather quickly from cancer and I feel horribly about that. And in fact, I have another book coming out in about six months. It's called Cancer, oh, yeah. Rest in Peace, my roller coaster mm-hmm. ride from discovery to recovery. Ooh. And in it, um, I, there are a couple of places in my life where I changed gears. So instead of being angry with cancer, um, I invited cancer to go out of my body, like for a freedom trip, 
<laughs> so <laughs> mentally say, go ahead out there, find your match, find your mate, someone that will neutralize you. And then, mm. you know, hopefully that will make things better. Mm. So instead of hating cancer or being a victim of cancer, I just encouraged cancer to leave me. Mm. And it's uh, like so we far, talk, like the you know, embracing. It's working so far. Um, <laughs> and it's, so it's just a different perspective again, mm -hmm. <laughs> an uncommon perspective or um, conscious perspective that um, hopefully will give me um, considerable more time. I, I think it will. I think I I think just having that attitude gives you more life. I think that's where it starts. Is like you how you see it, and that just it's like a it's like a feedback loop. If you you start off at a good if you start off at a good on a good foot, you're going to ultimately get you know you're going to feel good, and then you're going to commit good actions or positive actions for yourself, and then ultimately you're going to thrive and you're going to live a better life than you would if you just said. Oh, this cancer. Oh, man. Like, this is it. Here we go. This, I, I always knew it was going to be like this. But no matter what, you have to just see the positive. Like like we talked about before, man. Like, we're always going to go through it. And, you know, you're going... I don't know. You, you seem to be thriving in oh, your definitely. situation. Just if I could share this morning, mountain bike for two hours. We came mm -hmm. across on the tree, a, a giant oak tree. I know it was oak because I went back to cut it with my chainsaw because it was blocking our path. Uh, mm -hmm. A buddy of mine and I went back about a half hour later. That, that tree was no longer blocking the path. So we are just, <laughs> you know, we're going after it. And yeah, so that's already in the morning. Just, you know, already had a great mountain bike ride, already uh, cut down a tree, two of them actually. And um, no, I, I think that there's something about you know, assault is, I, I don't know, that's not the word I think I want, but let's use it. Assaulting life, like to say, no, I'm, I'm going to try to, uh, ring more out of life, um, which um, we had talked a little bit earlier about how you had a guest, a wonderful guest in your uh, podcast. Number one, I think it was Slava. And, mm -hmm. and he had like a contrasting view to mine, which I love like a difference. But he was suggesting more that I don't think he was saying that life could come to you, but that uh, maybe you could express it better because you, you're very um, you have a better yogi background than I do. <laughs> but it was it was in contrast to, to saying I'm going to go get these things to make who I am. Um, he seemed to be saying that that you'll become who you're supposed to be. Um, does that make sense? Like, where am I off, or, or how would you explain it better? I don't think you're off. I think you're. It's touching on the same points. It's just different uh, viewpoints of the same way to live. And he said, you know, his his the the. It's really just the yogi's motto is that you know it, there's. How you, you come into your own being is, uh, is it's just it's still your mind, and it's just simply to just, you know, it's to meditate, it's to be, to be present and to be here, and that's how you truly find out who you are. But that's at a deeper aspect of, of what we are. That's at, at our core and our, our, our stillness, and our self is, our self is, um, it's like, he, he pretty much says it, the self is, it's not able to be known by anything, any action that we do, anything that we view, anything that I say, and you're never really going to come to that by any action, but that doesn't mean you stop. Because it, that means you just you 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 get into life. Like if you if you stop and you say, you, you know, you become detached and you, that's it. You don't do anything and all you do is meditate. That's actually just as bad as 
um, becoming way too attached to life. Like you become, you know, too lost in the sauce. It's, it's there. You have to just become. It's pretty much. It's it's being the ebb and flow of life. Whatever happens, the ups and the downs and the twists and the turns. That's where we have to reside. Is it's it's in the flow and being in the flow is is a meditation in itself and that's exactly what you're doing though it's the same exact thing is you're in the flow you're you're not resisting because if you if you were in a resisting mindset i think you would be you would just be in bed all day just depressed or you know you wouldn't be writing two books or going for mountain biking rides in the morning but you're doing that's what you want to do and you're you know you're you're taking life by the balls i guess you could say you know you're you're really you're living it to and thriving to the best that you can you're not like it, it wouldn't say it's the opposite it's just that you guys are just seeing it in different ways like you you know your your meditation is to just go full out and just you know physicality and do whatever you can do and just you know be the man that you can be but he also does the same thing but he just emphasizes that it's going to happen on you know on its own accord don't stress it like all these things and your ambitions and anything that you want to accomplish is 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 done by first stilling the mind and then eventually you realize who you are and then from you realizing who you are you take the right actions so if that, um to, if a that couple of things so uh, i love your phrase i'd never heard it before till i listened to your podcast lost in the sauce <laughs> i thought that's the greatest little uh nice little phrase by the way so don't mm -hmm. get lost in the sauce i thought that you, you're just gonna have to maybe that'll be your book lost in the sauce i just <laughs> i think so I yeah that might like, have to be my first book really it, it really hit me great um mm -hmm. uh, the other thing I, I think that so um i think we all have like a vine inside of ourselves that, that roots to the ground and we're looking to nurture it and the closer we get to nurturing that vine that is the essential us Mm. Um, that's how we have a better life. And, and from a yogic perspective, um, I think maybe that's where, where maybe we're, we aren't different. I, I have this view that um, you have to do more of what makes you happy. I, I think uh, in chapter eight of my book, I talk about stabilizing and having fun, which my mountain biking is all about. We just have fun and uh, with friends, you're feeling good about things. You have great karma, you clear the trails, all these things that, you develop that nurture the vine inside of you. And um, I'm, I'm working with a, a, a young person who uh, asked me about like some thoughts of what I thought would work. And, and she mentioned that she likes rollerblading. And I said, that's part of your vine. You have to rollerblade more. So like nurture your vine and that'll grow. And that will do a lot of things to make you get to a different place. Not, not uh, go home, uh, pick up a podcast, study more subjects, become more spiritual. No, no, no. You like rollerblading. <laughs> go rollerblades a few times more in a week and, and see where that um, takes your spirit. So that, that I think, is um, something that I, in the book I talk about finding your fit in, in uh, Chapter 8. Uh, so Step 8, and it's really important in order to find your fit, you've got to nurture that vine that we all have. So you could envision, you know, like how a vine grows on a tree. They, they really grow and they almost, they'll even strangle a tree, right? They're so strong and powerful. So we all have these powerful vines within us. And I think our modern life tends to um, put like too much 
insecticide on us <laughs> to <laughs> pushes away the vine and, mm -hmm. and stuff instead of letting it grow. So I think that's something that if we can can find out what makes our vine happy and smiling, mm -hmm. that that's going to help us to have a really much better life. Exactly. You find the vine and everybody's vine, it's located in the same place. It's within us, but it's all different. Everybody's vine is different. Like yours, maybe mountain biking, whatever it is. Slava's is doing intense meditations and what I don't actually know what he does to be honest, but it, you know, it's a yogic <laughs> lifestyle yes. and mine is different. What I do is different. And then somebody else's is maybe different, but first you have to find it. And most people don't know where their vine is. And how would you say you came to find your vine? Like you, where did, what made you say, this is who I am. This is what I like to do. Was it a gradual process or was it, you know, your cancer prognosis or or the your house burning down like what happened <laughs> well i think you've been if you've been roughed up a bit in life too you know my house burned down and had several businesses that failed um and, and you know i always paid my bills so you ouching from that you know you <laughs> not enough money in the kitty and the business doesn't go that well so uh, but now i'm 46 years in business uh successfully with one business but um, I think it's more gradual that you pay attention to what you like to do. And, and I don't think it's about eating ice cream, by the way. You know, I love to eat ice cream. No, no. I'm thinking it's like what makes you like know there's something, I guess maybe I'm not, uh, I'm not being descriptive enough about like, so for mountain biking, I just knew I, I went and I came home. And I said, wow, that was fun. And even I did what's called an endo right over the handlebars, got scratched <laughs> up. And I went, dusted myself up and said, now that was fun. <laughs> so it's like, wow. And so I knew, um, and it, it could be anything. It, it could be walking uh, with dogs, you know, like people that have dogs and things like that, or going to car shows. My, my uh, son and, and his son, my grandson, they love to go to car shows and they see these old, uh, you know, Mustangs and an old, an Edsel or something, Model Ts. And it really like makes them feel good with mm -hmm. the other and good at what they're seeing, good at what they're learning. They get to ask questions about how do they do it? How do they restore it? And they identify. So I guess things that identify with you, you start to feel it. And, and I was not born to be a mountain biker or anything, but it's just something that I identify with and feel um, good about every single time. I, I never go on a mountain bike ride and come on and go, oh, that's stunk. <laughs> it's just, mm -hmm. I don't have to be with anybody. If it's raining, uh, if it's snowing, it's okay. Ice. I went and bought steel studded snow tires for my bike so I can go out on the ice. So that's awesome. it's just, um, you keep feeding that vine. And I don't think it has to be one thing. Oh, yeah. um, I'm also lucky to, um, I like to help people. And that's part of my vine. So sometimes mm -hmm. you can feel it when you help somebody and they kind of walk away happy and you feel like, wow, I, I did the right thing. I, I feel like that's my place in life. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's a, I think it's a sense of, it's a sense of being connected. That vine is like your connection to, you know, yourself, your true self. And it's also a connection to each other in this world. And to just, there's a difference between pleasure and real happiness and i think it's like what you said with the ice cream or any other sensual pleasure that is just that's something that just it it might make you feel kind of good but it's not going to last forever and it's just it's not really ultimately happiness like the, once you know the feeling of difference between pleasure and happiness 
And that's the difference between the vine and like, the, I guess, a fake vine or, you know, something that you think is a vine. Like mm-hmm. genuine happiness is something that makes you more in, I guess, it's a cliche, but more like in the moment, more connected, more compassionate or, or just more to yourself or compassionate to other people, whatever it is, just more, um, you know, just just centered and aligned in your heart essentially that's how i see it it's it's i I love the analogy of the vine i've never even heard of that before i think that's great because we all have that we all have that connection and that vine i see is like a it's like a spiraling connection to you know everything the collective unconscious if you want to call it that or you know or a vine to the connection of your true being and i think that is that is that is awesome you're a lot more of a yogi then I think you I think you are. <laughs> so to back to your other question, though, I think one thing that will um, help people is mm-hmm. to pay attention to what makes you curious. Mm. So like if you naturally want to know about something, like how you spell a word or something, you know, pay attention. What? Why was that? Right. If you saw um, a cat and you liked that the feet were all white and you wonder what kind of cat is that? See, you know what? Pay attention to that curiosity. And, and that's going to pull you in a place closer to your vine. Um, so the, um, so my grandson, Cameron, uh, he's 18, and he has loved cars since he was born. He's just like a car kid. And, and sure enough, he's working at a dealership now, and he takes people out in their new cars, the electric vehicles, and he teaches them all about electric cars. And that came naturally to him because it's something he always liked. And I think Mm. find out what you always liked and start to go to that. I mean, they always say, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, there's a piece of that in there too, that, so I'm looking for things that you really enjoy, things that uh, you have a natural curiosity about, you know, no one Mm. had to tell you to go find out why do they, why, like, was that a Cuban cat? You know, because there were some cats that originate in Cuba, for instance. And so, um, or, a, a spotted dog, a mongrel, you know, you might have seen something that just piqued your interest. So mm. that curiosity, that peaking of your interest is something that I would say to people, chase that down, you know, do mm. the work of chasing that down, find out why. Um, for yourself in particular, like you've uh, accumulated this set of technology now, you didn't start out and say, I'm going to do, I'm going to be a, a blogger and or whatever podcast person. You just said, you know, I think I really like what I'm seeing here. And I'm going to figure out this technology and I'm going to put it together so other people might benefit from it. Exactly. I was curious about led it. led the way, right? Exactly. Exactly. I was curious about, you know, everybody that I, these people and I was curious about starting this platform because I see other people are doing it. So I, if it wasn't for my own curiosity, I would, wouldn't be here. I was, I, I needed to find that, thing that made me tick in that that thing that made me want to learn more to know to really and I think touching on curiosity is like touching on something very uh it's like something that a lot of people don't touch upon in their lives and it's something that's very deep rooted into our being as in like you know it, it stems from childhood like when, when you have a kid you said they're, they're kids are naturally curious and I think you know we stop being curious when we're told don't touch that don't don't go over there you know don't don't put your hands over there and i think it stops at childhood and we don't we don't get it back 
we don't but we have to regain that that aspect of like huh why do i want to like try this or i want to go this way or see what makes me feel good or you know go play with the pot and pots and pans like mom told me not to or stuff that like you said i, I love that like you have to touch that part and that makes you want to learn more because if you're not interested in it and you don't you don't have you know i, I there's a lot like when i went through school there were so many classes that i was not interested in I just didn't care about it. I didn't care to learn. But the ones the, and the things that I was curious about and interested in, I taught myself more than I could ever learn in school because I, I wanted to do that myself. And, I, you know, with the Internet, you can learn anything you want to learn. So what I'm trying to say is that you, you have to go with, it's like you said, you have to go with things that you like and things that you simply uh, makes you happy. Getting back to that, you, we have to, because yeah. if you try to pursue something in your life where you're not interested in it, it's just not gonna work. Like you, like you, and I think it's a curiosity to thing that never ends. Because I think the key is that if you reach the answer, then well, that's the end of it. You always continually have to be curious in order for whatever pursuit you're doing to work out. I believe, and that is a, that is I think a tenet of success you have to be always striving for more like in, in, in there's a saying in yoga where it's like you're always a student no matter what no matter if you've been doing it for 20 years you went and practiced in the himalayan caves and you know you know how to speak sanskrit it doesn't matter you're always there's always something more to learn and i think that's true with everything in life you know and especially nowadays with the internet curiosity is the best time to be curious right now <laughs> you we can do whatever we want so it's a beautiful time to be alive. So to let's tie that in a little bit. I, I like the way um, the way you interview is good because it it uh, like scintillates. It gets me thinking, and um, <laughs> like right now, for instance, right, we have mm -hmm. the um, the riots that have gone on, the protests that are going on. Um, the distinction between those may be a frame, right? Mm -hmm. But um, a view that you could have, a curious view, could be what is it that's allowing these people to think the way they think. So I'm curious mm. about that, right? And um, what I like to view them is they're our best friends. So people would say, what do you mean they're our best friends? There's all this problem in the streets. And, and uh, you know, uh, if you happen to own a business in one of these hard hit cities um, where there's been vandalism and problems and it's hard to make a living now because your, your front door is sort of locked out by this protesting of sorts, um, you would not agree with this, but let me throw it out that, that they're our best friends because they are pointing out that we have a huge problem with our system. And mm -hmm. we needed that pointed out to us. So you're our best friends. Now, how can we how can we get to a better place based on your input? And it may not, you know, we may have to close that input a little because there there is not a, um, in some cases, there's not positive intention. There's more like reckless mm -hmm. um, fever. It's like chaos. You would. So mm -hmm. like this reckless fever is not going to help us. But but we want to thank them. We want to embrace them and then be curious about how did they get to that point so that we can then um, find the path that takes us all to the next better place. And I think that curiosity is a thing that has to be maintained because mm -hmm. the, the moment that you shut the door in curiosity and say they are damned fools and we're not going to listen to them, um, that is a place that is harder to come back from. It's harder to join up 
and collaborate, which we need to collaborate. I agree. So it's uh, it really just comes down to is it I don't know if it's empathy, but just putting yourself in the other person's shoes and seeing why they're angry, why people are doing these things. Yeah. Where a lot of people just shut that down, like oh, those people are hoodlums. They're just they're out there wrecking stores. Which you know, there's actually probably a lot of people that are out there just wrecking stores and they want a new pair of shoes, but there are actual protesters and there are people that have a message and they want to be heard and it's 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 less um constructive and progressive if you just shut them out on either side if you know if either if we just shut each other out and don't look at other people in the the other viewpoint then we're not going to get anywhere you have to see it even if you don't agree with the person you have to see it from their position and why they are saying this thing or doing this thing and like we might have taken a little too far. People have definitely taken a little too far with uh, looting stores. Uh, but you're 100 percent right. We have to we have to frame ourselves, frame frame the situation, and see what these people actually are doing and what their motive is and intention. Going back to the intention, what is their intention? Like where where are they coming from? And if everybody has that, if our whole world can adopt that, this world would be a better place because we people don't seem to know how to do that to see where other people are coming from they just see people's actions and that's it and just you cut it off right there and the action and they don't know that other people have feelings i guess and have you know something in them that makes them act in a certain way i think that that there's like a an intellectual curiosity how did you learn to think that way and then Mm -hmm. okay can we like try to intercept the parts of it that are being harmful to um, to the general like good, if you would. So mm-hmm. um, the, you won't intercept that other than by superseding power. And I think understanding that there are times uh, anybody who's had children can tell you you have to have superseding force. So that like, for instance, if I have a, a two-year-old and we're getting ready to cross the street, and the two-year-old steps before I do, I grab that two-year-old and I pull him back. And that's superseding mm-hmm. force for their protection. Mm-hmm. But there is this sense that I think there has to be an acknowledgement that force may be necessary, but I don't want that force to shut out this intellectual curiosity of understanding how did, how did a, a person arrive at the place where they felt that their actions made sense. Mm. Exactly. And that's hard to get to sometimes. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, it takes a very mature and still mind to be able to do that. Getting out of your own head and literally going in someone else's head is it is a skill in a way. It is to be able to just and to, to think what they're actually thinking. It is, I don't know, it's almost like a superpower in a way. <laughs> but I think everybody's, I think everybody is capable of of doing that we just have to be able to reach that point and you're right like you know when when people say we have to dismantle police departments and it just doesn't that's not the middle ground that's the you know going in to the other side like we need to have that force like you said and the two-year-olds are us it's it's society because there's crazy people out in the world Mm -hmm. like we can't just dismantle a police force it's we're not at that point yet we're not at the utopia in the the garden of eden yet we can't dismantle a police force (laughs) Well, I think that they would argue that that um, that this uh, is not a dismantling. It's an adjustment. Yeah. Um, But what I I think that needs to be brought to bear is an awareness of 
unintended consequences and how they envelop um, a situation. Mm -hmm. um, so that's I think that's very important that people understand that they may have had um, an intention of accomplishing one thing, but not seeing that other things are going to happen and that you have to account for that as well. And mm. I think that's what I think people perhaps who have gone far to the left or far to the violent side have not quite understood that there are ramifications. We talk about ripples, uh, the concept of Adva in the book uh, a little bit and how that's, I think it's a Jewish concept of, and it might be a concept that goes all the way back, you know, thousands of years to every kind of uh, community. I don't, I don't necessarily, um, I think it's well known in the Jewish community as Adva. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it means the rippling effect of your actions. So that um, that has could be good consequences you didn't intend, or could be very harsh consequences that you didn't intend. But there ha there will benefit a person to understand the unintended consequences. What I call UICs. It's you know just the acronym UIC, unintended consequence of a particular action, which is why I always advocate that you have good intentions, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if, if your intentions are good, you'll outwork the problems you create. Now, if your intentions are like to be the wrath of God, to, to say that you know better than everybody else, and that's hubris, right? This idea that you have a, a confidence, uh, an overconfidence, actually, in what you're doing. It's hard to know when you're being overconfident, but that's hubris. And mm. that hubris is the opposite of humility. So mm. we need more humility, more people to stop and say, I wonder if what I'm doing has the appropriate consequences am i aware of all the unintended consequences and then that that can maybe transform your hubris to humility and mm. um sometimes i hear people that just started in business and i'll show some of my own hubris 46 years on my own business you know i i sometimes listen to people and think you know really you're really <laughs> going to tell me about this I, uh, why don't you see how long you, i'm i'm i have a number of people who work for me and mm -hmm. most of them are younger than the amount of time I've been in business. <laughs> so when I hear sometimes ideas, it's a lot of hubris in those ideas. Mm. And, and what I'd like is some humility, some, some sense that we haven't seen it all. We don't know it all. We need to experience more. We need to experiment more without this hubris that says it's all going to be the way I say it is because I said it. Mm. And I think that we witness a lot of that in today's society. I'd like to see us pull back some of that um and then that would help us you know like the, the store owner that can't run his store because people who decided what they thought was right that's hubris has the unintended consequence of hurting far more people than they realize mm -hmm. in spite of the great um sort of the wider intention of say racial justice or equality and i, I kind of throw the word equity out there too so we um I, I think the word, by the way, I'll, I'll share this with you. You can throw out the word fair and you can throw out the word unfair because I think they're both some of the most uh, biased words that we all use and attach. If we like something, we say that's fair. If we don't like it, mm -hmm. we say that's unfair. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I tend to listen very closely when I hear people using the word fair. It's a light bulb right away. What? Okay, where are they going with this? Mm -hmm. Do you think fair and unfair is uh, subjective? Yeah, I, I like to put the word reasonable in place of fair. So okay. can you be more or less reasonable? 
you know, how, like what are the reasons? And that implies like fair. How do you find out if something's fair? There's no way to find out. But if yeah. you're going to use reasonable, you say, okay, what are your reasons? So then this intellectual curiosity kicks in. Mm, I like that. That is a, a I'm not going to use fair or unfair anymore. Don't let me ruin your vocabulary use, but, but maybe use it in a guarded way and, and kind of like think about, because some things that we might say are just blatantly unfair. I mean, you know, we saw that like there's some children that have been shot, uh, gunshots from these uh, the terrible happenings, which could have happened before COVID, without COVID, could have happened before the protests, without the protests. And that's certainly, you can say, use the word fair, that's unfair to the family. But there were reasons that that happened. And, mm. and um, so I think the use of fair and unfair, we can, I think we can confidently play that down a little and try to understand reasons more than subjective assessments. Mm. That is, yeah, 100% on that. Uh, I'd like to get back to the topic of ADVA. Okay. Is it ADVA? Yeah, ADVAH. It's it's pretty much it seems like the ta- the the concept of karma that everything has ripples and yes. you know you touch upon karma in your book and you say build your karma yes and the thing karma in a yogic sense is there's good karma and then there's bad karma no matter what we're always building karma and that's pretty much what you just touched upon is like you're gonna have if you're if you don't have the right intentions you're going to have the wrong consequences. And, or from your actions and um i think it's great how you emphasize that it's, it's how we have to have the build your good karma you know build is is it is it build your adva or is it just a concept is it just adva is it i think adva is more of a constant and karma i think um i don't think your actions always have to be right or wrong i think it can be the best thing that you screw up that you do something wrong with with bad karma it can be the best thing because at some point, it will show itself to you that that you were heading in the wrong direction. And especially with children, as I raise my children and my grandchildren, that they need to make mistakes. They need to see it. Um, but our job, like at least my job as a parent and a grand, grandparent has been to let them experience stuff. Um, and, and I have a, kind of a little sad story that I will inject is, there's a fellow I know with only uh, with four fingers missing, just has the, the, he's been had that reduction from an accident with machinery and somebody didn't teach him about consequences as he grew up right mm-hmm. it, they they were like oh you know we'll take care of that we'll take care of this when something happened oh we'll help you we'll help you no 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 i think that that mistake happened because there was a mistake in parenting that that you didn't let that child experience the consequences of his actions and then what people need to know is life is ruthless. I think that's a truth. I don't know where I read that or if it's read nowhere. I'm going to give it to you as, as my tenant. Life is ruthless. Mm-hmm. Okay, it really is. So you need to know that and you need to act accordingly. That, that there are consequences to your actions and life will be ruthless. Mm-hmm. So if you drive drunk, you may get away with it a few times, but then life is going to be ruthless. Mm-hmm. In my in my small construction company, we we double triple check how we tie things on the on the ladder racks, because life is ruthless. If you let plywood slide off, if you let a ladder jump off a pipe, you can kill somebody. So, mm-hmm. life is ruthless, and you have to act accordingly. So I think I don't mm-hmm. think people realize how ruthless life is, 
and that there's no amount of coddling that will get your fingers back. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that is a, a message that people would benefit to pay attention to and parents would benefit. You know, the idea we talk about superseding force when you pull that child back, but we have to get that child to experience just enough of the danger, just enough of the consequence to, to, to start to take over their own actions. So, mm-hmm. um, and I just want to share one other thing that I, I was talking with a friend of mine and he, he thanked me because he has um, a teenage boy and two teenage girls. And he said, well, he did one thing and I had to punish him. And I said, no, 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 we don't punish our kids. We, we develop consequences for them so that they can see that what they do has a consequence. We never punish them. A punishment is an intent to injure. So we don't do that. We're not trying to injure our kids. We're trying to make them ready for ruthless life. Mm. So some mm. thoughts that you kind of, I love the way you interview because it, it pulls all this stuff out of me that I think is worthy of sharing. <laughs> and you pull stuff out of me as well. I think that's just, it's just great how we just, you know, that's how I want to structure. It's just like a, it's a nice conversational tone. And uh, what you said is, is very true. I mean, it is, we need to give, it's like, um, I mean, I'm not a father, so I'm not speaking from experience here, but I think it's, you know, if you have helicopter parents, you know, the term helicopter parents, and you don't show these kids and you shelter these kids too much, they're not going to know that life is ruthless. And that's a, it's a, it's a lesson that you need to know because no matter what, like, you, you know, you're either going to learn it when you're young and prepare for it as you grow up, or you're going to learn it when something goes wrong at like 25 or 26 or whatever. And it's better to learn when you're young so you know how to prepare and you know that this is the world you're growing up in. I think that's very true and like you said life is ruthless the first noble truth of Buddhism like I said before is life is suffering it's just these these fundamental truths that we have in our life that you know that they figured out thousands of years ago like I said and they, they wrote down in these books and they had these people that meditated and they found these things out and we need to come back to the, these tenets and these ideas and that you know you're expressing and that you know every a lot of people are finding out now is that you know, we're all going to go through shit, but as long as you have the good intentions and, and if you if you mean well and you treat people right, it's life isn't, the ruthlessness of life doesn't mean as much. It doesn't really, it doesn't phase you as much, as, if that makes sense. It's just more of just like a, it's just another ripple in the ocean, that ruthlessness. Like, you know, the, the, the ocean is ruthless as well. It's a very, it could be, you know, it has crazy tides and waves can be strong and take you everywhere but is 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 if, if you just get lost in the wave and the ruthlessness of it it's not so bad just ride the wave ride just just like life yeah, and I, I think when in terms of um the people that are in the protests and the and the riots if they can temper their intentions they are convinced that their intentions are good but if they can temper that with respect for all beings right so mm-hmm. that sometimes their intentions are so good that they, they look, we're going to make you notice. We're going to, we're going to make you aware of this radical change that has to come forward. But if you don't temper that with respect for all beings, you hurt a zillion people with your ripples. And, and those hurts are, you're doing more damage than good. The, the whole idea of like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you, you know, that you, you can't hide behind good intentions. So I think that's a big message is that, there is a sense of what we're seeing today. There's people hiding behind good intentions. Mm-hmm. And I think that I'd never termed it that way before, just sort of coming to that with you is that 
there has to be a temperance for um, like the, the, and a respect for the people you affect, this Advat principle. That, and, and so that the idea of just having good intentions, it isn't enough. And we're seeing it. I mean, it's obvious it's not enough. I mean, if you're going to hurt a whole bunch of people because of your great uh, beliefs, it, it becomes hubris and not humility. Mm-hmm. Your actions have to follow your intentions, right? But your intentions, I think, have to be tempered with um, this idea of respect. Mm-hmm. So there's more there's more to it than just saying, whoa, I'm accomplishing social justice. Therefore, everything I do is OK. And that's hubris. And, and mm-hmm. that, I think, is that's a point that we have to acknowledge is not enough. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. Very true. It really just comes down to just knowing that we are all we're all in this together. Like we're no matter the problems and the difference that differences that we all have, we're all in this life, this crazy life, this this life of um, ruthlessness or suffering together. And the more that we make it harder for each other, the more we make it harder for ourselves. And we all just have to come to that that basic truth that we're we're all going through this together. And, and just the ripples of the ocean. Every action that you take is going to affect the world tenfold and so we have to spread that good energy it's just that positive energy and coming to that conscious perspective of life yeah well spoken <laughs> well um honestly steve uh i don't know if i have anything else to ask you today um i think we covered a lot of topics this was a great conversation um i feel like i've definitely grown from this conversation I don't even remember what we spoke about. That's how much I was into the moment. Like we just, it just felt like, just it was just like you know off the top. It was great. Um, if you have anything else, do you have anything else to say before we conclude this? I'm um, sure. Two more things I'll say. One is um, if you'd Go like to get, you if you'd like to get the book, um, we mm-hmm. have a website, breakthecursebook.com. So just look that up. You can easily access the book there. So that would be give you a few pointers about life. And the second thing I'd want everyone to do is to believe in yourself. That's my sort of a final, you, you have to believe in yourself, no, no, no matter what, you know, do the things we just talked about in this interview, you know, ha- have a considered opinion, you know, ply yourself away from hubris toward humility, and then believe in yourself, be respectful of others, and I think you can get some good results. 100%, 100%. I'm excited for your new book. What's it called again? <laughs> Break the Curse. Oh, the new book is called Yeah, the Cancer. new book. And it's tentatively titled because I haven't finished it yet, but it's um, we think that it's cancer rest in peace. I like that. My roller coaster ride from discovery to recovery. So we hope that that will um, help people who are fighting with cancer, and there are many people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, help them find a pathway that um, eases their suffering, um, and hopefully builds strength in them to overcome. Um, what you know, cancer's challenges are. That's awesome. That is that's great. I will definitely be a reader of that book. Okay. And um, you know, we can you can always welcome to come back on the conscious perspective again, and we can dive into some more positive topics. All right. And I want to thank you very much for your time and your really, uh, I think, intellectual stimulation. We'll leave it as that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, all right, Steve Kelly. If you, if we have nothing else to say. Namaste.
Yep. Namaste. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.